channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions podcast network and presented in partnership with TrekCore.com. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on September 2nd, 2022, and is current through the Star Trek Lower Decks episode, The Least Dangerous Game, so beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. Catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a regular news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from lots of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone. And my guest this week is returning guest Sam Nelson. Sam, welcome back to Weekly Trek. Hi, Alex. Thanks for having me back again. All right, Sam. Well, you know the drill. I want to know something that's got you excited about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Well, besides the fact that uh, by the time this podcast hits people's feeds, we'll just be days away from Star Trek Day 2022. Yes. That I've already got my playlist for the day. I've taken the day off of work. I plan on doing nothing but watching an episode from each series. Very nice. I'm going to enjoy the, the the live streaming, which is at a much better time for our European friends across yep. the pond this year. I've got a little personal Warp 10 thing going on. I don't talk about it a lot on Twitter, but I'm the proud parent and step-parent of seven kids in my mixed marriage, my second marriage. My and, goodness, um, sir. Thank you. And I, out of seven kids, one is bound to be a Trek fan, right? Of course. And, I have found the one, the one, my, my 12 year old stepdaughter Paige uh, has slowly, but surely she watched every episode of strange new worlds with me. She watched every episode of prodigy and it warmed my heart when she said she wanted to out of nowhere. I did not goad her. I want to watch every episode of star Trek, Sam. So I inspired uh, by her. I made a spreadsheet so she could fill out every episode. She has a little notebook. She's making notes of episodes. She watches and the most proud moment the other night I was making dinner and she turned on the TV, didn't ask, just went right to Paramount Plus, went to Voyager, started cruising around season one. I was getting worried that she might end on, she might stop on ex post facto or <laughs> but she ended up picking the 37s and she looked Good over choice. her shoulder at me and I gave her the wink and said, great choice. You're going to love this episode. And my gosh, when she was done, she just gushed about Amelia Earhart and blue alert. And it was just, I'm proud that I'm pulling another one into the fold for us. So she is excited. I'm just excited to be a proud stepdad with a Star Trek nerd right with me all the way. Well, thank you for your service. Number one in raising seven kids, but in number two in uh, raising Star Trek fans as well. We we in the fandom really appreciate it. But but <laughs> Sam, you've teased me. So now you got to tell me, you said for Star Trek Day, you were going to watch one episode from every series. I got to know what, which of the episodes you picked. That's a great. So I was unable to do it last year, but two years ago, I did the same thing. This year's lineup. Let's see if I can do this. Uh, Message in a Bottle. Okay. Uh, Who Mourns for Mourn. Okay. E2. Yep. Light and Shadows. Okay. Penance. Yep. Crisis Point. Yep. Kobayashi. Love Crisis Point. Yep. Kobayashi. Uh, uh, Data's Day. Data's Day. The Lorelei Signal. Okay. And course 8 30 p.m i gotta time it right man trap oh of course yes <laughs> finish things off wow and so what made you pick those episodes specifically you were just like these are the ones i feel like i'm gonna watch because they're fun they have a certain theme 
what what was the what's the guiding principle behind that one? Completely kind of some of my favorites. So I'm right in the middle of doing a DS9 Voyager rewatch and I'm yep. doing an Enterprise rewatch. I'm syncing up with the First Flight podcast. Okay. Uh, so I I don't want to go back and watch episodes that I've already watched. I'm kind of mid season three in both Voyager and DS9. So I kind of jumped ahead just a little bit. And some of the others are just my favorites. Uh, I just, uh, the Lorelei signal was just mentioned on Trek Ranks on the Uhura episode the other day. So I wanted to make sure that I stuck that one in there. So I'm just some of my favorites. And a couple of years ago when I did it, it was, I just, I picked like Twilight from Enterprise, Timeless from Voyager, Magic to Make the Saintest Man Go Mad, just some of the, the top pits. So if I can do this every year and take my personal day, I'm just going to try to pick out an episode that just, I just want to revisit a great revisitable episode from each series every year. I love it. That is terrific. When Discovery first premiered, I did something similar, which was I watched, it was like, a, I guess it was, a, I think it was a Sunday and I watched all of the series pilots in order up to oh. that point. So I did Man Trap, Encounter at Farpoint, Emissary, great. Caretaker, broken bow and then finished it off with the vulcan hello and battle at the binary stars and that was a lot of fun i i do like jumping around the series like that when you you know you have a something to celebrate so yeah that's really cool you're gonna have a great day on thursday it is gonna be fantastic i'm looking forward to it all right let me tell you what i'm feeling good about star trek this week and honestly it's pretty simple one when i had jen on last week we were talking about lower decks and we were kind of talking around it because at that point none of the episodes had premiered but now i can talk about the first two episodes of season three because that's what everybody has seen by the time this episode drops that being grounded in the least dangerous game and i just am so happy that lower decks is back <laughs> uh, you know from the moment that i loaded up grounded i was like full body relaxation <laughs> back into this sort of like zany crazy world of lower decks which just totally works for me grounded in the least dangerous game two very different episodes of lower decks right that in my mind there's sort of two categories of lower decks episodes those that use as their central conceits something about star trek right so like Grounded was a search for spot playoff with mm -hmm. first contact themes running through it. And then those that rely on more kind of traditional sitcom-y tropes, which are not typically my favorite episodes of Lower Decks, but Least Dangerous Game, in my opinion, did the sort of sitcom trope like it, it was probably my favorite of the sitcom tropes episodes that we have seen in Lower Decks so far. Mm -hmm. And I'm just enjoying so much about this season, all of the jokes, all of the fun, all of the sort of Star Trekiness of it. I'm just really, really pleased that Lower Decks is back and that we're two down and we've still got eight more episodes to go this season. And I can't wait for season four to come back next year. So yeah, I'm thrilled that Lower Decks is back. You don't have a Lower Decks story this week, which is why I kind of wanted to highlight it and just dwell on it for a second, given it is the it is the show on air right now. But uh, yeah, having a fabulous time with Lower Decks once again. That makes two of us. I have enjoyed, it seems like, uh, Mike and the team have really now, it's the curse of Star Trek series, right? You get to that third season, things hit. And yeah. the first two episodes have really just hit. They're comfortable. The jokes are even faster and better and deeper. You couldn't, I had to pause the episode mid first watch and grounded when they got to Bozeman to just laugh at the absurdity <laughs> and the beauty of going to Bozeman and have it turn into like a Cedar Point kind of place yep. which makes perfect sense to me it was just an amazing first start and an amazing second episode too i love lower decks and i can't wait to see what's coming up all right well with that let's turn to the week's top stories there's a war going on and i'm a reporter 
Well, so much for Paramount's plan to double down and fast track the next Star Trek movie after it had been stuck in development hell since 2016. The director attached to the latest iteration of the project, that being WandaVision's Matt Shackman, is out. He's off to direct the new Fantastic Four movie for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. In a statement, Paramount said, quote, Matt Shackman is an incredibly talented filmmaker, and we regret the timing didn't align for him to direct our upcoming Star Trek film. We are grateful for his many contributions, are excited about the creative vision of this next chapter and look forward to bringing it to audiences all around the world. Shackman's vision was the fourth version of Star Trek 4 that Paramount has tried to get off the ground. The original S.J. Clarkson movie was scrapped when deals couldn't be reached with Chris Pine and Chris Hemsworth. Noah Hawley's project was cancelled by Paramount and Quentin Tarantino elected not to move forward with his vision for the fourth Star Trek movie in the Kelvin timeline. What Shackman's exit means for the project, whether he'll pick up his script with a new director or will require starting over entirely, is currently uncertain. But what seems almost certain is that the currently scheduled December 2023 release date, which was pushed back from the summer 2023 release date, which was pushed back from the 2022 release date, which was pushed back from the 2021 release date, which was pushed back from the 20... I could go on and on, will almost certainly slip. Again. Sam, what's your reaction to the latest challenge faced by Star Trek 4? If if I said that I am over it, <laughs> yeah, would that be okay? I love... Star Trek movies. One of the earliest memory I have is seeing Star Trek three in the theater as a little kid. I love the Kelvin movies. I love two of them immensely. And I have come to love the other one. And at this point, if we go another 10 years without a Star Trek movie, wouldn't it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Paramount looks foolish. It's embarrassing. They, yeah. This is supposed to be one of the big three or four movie companies in the world. And if they can't get their act together on a single film, if when they announce a date and the actors are surprised by the, the timing of it, they pull in directors, talented directors, they have scripts flying around. The fact that they can't pull this off, it, it's beyond me. And unless they get something, I, if I were Paramount, I would just, I would get everything done in contract, in writing, super quiet, and then surprise us with locked in contractually obligated dates and announcement and just stop this insanity already. Yeah, I think you described it pretty well. I mean, I feel pretty over this project at the moment. I mean, maybe that's a consequence of me being a probably massively overly plugged in Star Trek fan who follows the, you know, twists and turns of literally everything that happens in the franchise now seeing another twist for Star Trek Four, a movie that we've waited now six years for, and we'll be waiting at least one more, probably two more, probably three more in, you know, reality, who every time Paramount seems to say, oh yeah, we've got this figured out and we're moving ahead. And this time felt the most substantial, right? J.J. Abrams goes in front of the investors in February and says, it's on, it's happening, this is the time, this is the place, we're doing this, Star Trek Four is a go. And the first thing they do is go out and ask all of the actors and they say, well, we haven't heard anything about this, we're all booked up through the rest of this year. And then later in the year, the director says, oh, sod it, I've got a better offer from Disney, I'm off to go do Fantastic Four, which, by the way, I would, I'm would. i a big fan of WandaVision, I think it's a, it was a great show, big fan of Matt Shackman as a result. I'm thrilled about the prospect of a good Fantastic Four movie knowing that we've gotten mm-hmm. three terrible ones up to this point because i'm a huge fantastic four fan but now paramount is down a director i mean i guess you know there's the sort of rosy version of this scenario which is 
Shackman's script is done. The studio is very happy with it. He will get the writing credit for the movie. And they're now going to bring in a director and say, film this script. And they're working on getting the cast deals locked down and everything. But like, if the technically the movie is coming out Christmas next year, I don't see any evidence it's going in front of the cameras in the next couple of months, right? Which it wouldn't necessarily need to in order to get anywhere close to meeting sure. that kind of release date. And so, you know, we're just sort of stuck now in this place where we don't know what's going on we don't know like what's going to happen and yeah once again star trek 4 is the butt of every industry joke and honestly they kind of earned it right like every time this movie hits another ridiculous roadblock there are a bunch of mean tweets about how paramount can't pull its thumb out of its behind in order to Mm -hmm. make a star trek movie and they're kind of not unfair tweets because six years later they can't seem to make a star trek movie which is supposed to be one of the the studio's biggest franchise tentpoles for which there have been 13 previous movies it's not like it's an unfilmable concept right we have 13 previous star trek movies that proves that you can make a range of qualities of Star Trek movies ranging from the very bad to the most recent one, which was very good, right? Like, why not just do another Star Trek Beyond? It's not rocket science. It's not, you know, it's not unprecedented to make a good Star Trek movie quickly and on a budget, but they don't seem to be able to figure it out anymore. And it's just deeply, deeply frustrating. It's such a a waste of talent when it comes to the actors. And for all the grief that we've gone through, what a group of talented creatives in front of the camera right. that we have. And they've gone on to have varying degrees of quite top tier success. Getting Chris Pine and Zoe Saldana and Carl Urban in the same spot can be difficult, I'd imagine. But when we do, they make magic. And to bring those mm-hmm. top draw names together again in the Star Trek universe, I want it to happen so bad, but I can't keep getting disappointed. Yeah. Knowing right. that on the other side, at the old CBS side of it, the the Paramount Television side of it now, they churn out feature film, movie quality productions uh, multiple times a year. They have creatives, they have great actors, they have wonderful production values that rival anything. If they can produce that over there and tell great, compelling stories, why can't the other side do it? Uh, Paramount's quite, uh, like we've talked about, can make a great Star Trek film. They just released the year's biggest film in Top Gun 2. They are a professional movie company. Why can't why this studio can't get their act together on something as simple in reality as a Star Trek movie? It does not need to be the next Star Wars. It does not need to be the next Marvel movie. I think that's where I think that's where Paramount shoots themselves in the foot thinking that we have to create a billion dollar movie. That's not what Star Trek is going to produce and be. But if they can make a targeted international film that nets $750 million or $500 million based on a budget, that's what they need to go for because they have a baked in audience that's craving it. But at this point, I'm tired of being disappointed and I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm, I just, I'm over it. I, I would just, I'd love to just now focus on the five series that we've got and the more to come thanks to Alex Kurtzman. And you make that critical point there, right? Which is, it kind of doesn't matter all that much. I mean, the TV shows are going really well. We're enjoying all of the content we're getting. It, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of kind of angles on Star Trek that are not being serviced by not getting a Star Trek movie. But at the same time, it's just like, 
there should be Star Trek movies, right? There've been 13 of them. Of it's long running tradition, right? Like, you know, surely somebody has a good enough idea to make a movie that can ultimately get onto the big screen. That you can lock down the actors for and find some time to build some sets and shoot in front of them, right? Like, yes, it is making a movie is a deeply complex thing with lots of moving parts, but ultimately it's just about putting somebody in front of a camera and hitting record, you know, like this is not rocket science again. So yeah, very, very frustrating, but Hey, plenty of Star Trek TV to talk about. And I guess every six months we'll keep coming back to what a disaster <laughs> the movie side is and having another one of these conversations about how disappointed we are that the mythical Star Trek four has not gotten off the ground. Absolutely. At this point, I'm, I, I can't wait to read all the unfilmed scripts that they've got lying around at Paramount yeah. somewhere. That's a great book in that summer, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Star Trek Picard showrunner Terry Metalis has continued doing interviews about the upcoming third season of Star Trek Picard that give us a bit more information each time about what to expect from the TNG reunion. Metalis appeared on the Trek Movie All Access podcast in the last couple of weeks to talk about Picard and spoke at length about the TNG character reunion. I would say certainly Beverly Crusher takes a back seat in those Star Trek films, he said, referring to Crusher role in the Star Trek movies. And the pitch for season three of Picard was always that the first person you see is Beverly Crusher, in an unexpected way because it's been 25 years and no one's really the same person after that amount of time. But it was just a great jumping off point. I always felt that Beverly was a giant portion of his life, his best friend Jack Crusher. I always loved that mythology and those relationships. And so if you're going to do the final story of Captain Picard, it feels like that would play a big part. And he went on to say that, quote, you will see conflict with some of these characters. And to me, that's just great drama. There is a moment where Riker and Picard have a very strong disagreement about tactically what to do in a specific situation, and I love it. I love seeing the later part of a chapter where Riker was a protege of Picard. What happens if those roles are switched in a way that Riker has to make a call that Picard does not agree with? I want to see those conversations. Matalas also revealed that one of the ideas left on the cutting room floor of season three was a plan that they never were able to realize to include an adult Naomi Wildman. Quote, there was a moment where there's a specific thing that's happening. What if they had to turn to a grown-up Naomi Wildman and it was a very, very intense three weeks in the room because it was a great story? And had you had 13 episodes, you were going to do this one and it was going to be great if you could produce it because it was rather expensive. And so that's hard. And as for the ship that Picard and crew will be gallivanting around in, Metalis indicates that it is not the USS Enterprise. We spend most of the time on one ship this season that is not the Enterprise, he said. That does not mean you won't get your Enterprise fixes that you're looking for, but the main setting is a ship that's a bit of an underdog. It's not the Stargazer, it's lit a bit differently. The Stargazer had a gloss to it and was lit up. This is a little bit more in the spirit of a movie. I wouldn't say darker, but it just has this different feel to it than season two. Sam, we're starting to hear more and more about Star Trek Picard season three. How are you feeling about the upcoming third season of Picard? Uh, I am over the moon excited about it. I wish it comes out tomorrow. I hope that by Thursday we'll see, uh, on Star Trek Day, we'll see a, a full proper trailer for it, or at least something for it to whet the appetite. I was a huge fan of, of season two. I thought it was a big, they, they stuck the landing, in my opinion, uh, far better than season one. The, the Terry interview was fantastic to hear the nuance and, and that how deep he goes as a former production assistant on Voyager and Enterprise and now running this show to hear some of the pieces. And I was especially struck in the interview by his passion around uh, the Beverly Crusher storyline mm -hmm. and how we've seen Gates McFadden front and center at several events. She's spoken about how deeply personal that her part is. It's the best part that she's had is Beverly Crusher 
in 30 years, which says a, a ton that we'll see her in the first episode. It looks like they might be closing off some of the, the Laris relationship and exploring some of the past between Beverly. Where Terry is taking season three is a proper version of TNG's quote, air quote, undiscovered country moment is really, I think, a, a great place to go. There doesn't have to be, I assume there's going to be big action sets, and there's going to be battles, and I've heard the, the talk about the big bad villain. But to really get a moment where we can take that prime seven cast, put them back together until, a, as Terry puts it, a proper adventure story, I think is is going to be key. And it gets me excited to see all those faces again. I was excited to see Old Wharf and how good everybody looks. But I think what Terry's focused on from a story standpoint, to take the care to make sure that they tell a story that, that dives into conflict, that dives into richness of character and ties up a lot of those feelings that we've had for these folks and these characters for 30 years is important. And I, I think Terry's the right person for the job. And he keeps teasing us on Twitter all the time. So I love that too. Yeah. I mean, you know, just sort of listening a little bit to some of the creative process behind the season and Terry kind of talking about it in advance. It is super interesting, right? And like sort of listening to his philosophy on, you know, him talking about how he didn't feel like Nemesis was a particularly good goodbye for the next generation cast. And so, you know, he he really wanted to give them that with this season, which they all signed up for, which means they must have been pretty kind of, you know, excited with what they heard about what each of their characters would be doing. Flashback to all of the times TNG actors have been asked, would you ever show up in the modern Star Trek shows? And they're like, yes, if we're given something good to do, right? So like, as Terry Matalas, you got to come through and give those actors something good to do, because it's not like they really need the money. That's really cool. Listening to, you know, sort of the level at which they considered different pieces of it, right? Like that Naomi Wildman story, right? Like, I would have really liked to have seen an adult Naomi Wildman, especially given mm -hmm. we know Seven of Nine has a really big role to play in season three of Picard, and the Seven-Naomi Wildman relationship was a really critical one in those later seasons of Voyager for the Seven character. Like, that's really exciting that the writer's room would go to that level of consideration about this season to try and find a way to include an adult Naomi Wildman. Now, obviously, Terry says it doesn't work out, so there's not going to be Naomi Wildman in Star Trek Picard season three, but if that's one of the ideas that didn't make it in there what are the ideas that did because that sounds really exciting Absolutely. right like you know if, if they're going to that level of introspection and depth within you know the different kinds of relationships that characters have had the different potential legacy characters that could show up that naomi wildman was very seriously on the table for like three weeks and they're battling back and forth in the writer's room about how to include this character who did make the cut so that's really really interesting and in the interview there was a tease that he did not reveal so I'm assuming they probably used at least story beats from the idea of a TNG character that he so desperately wanted to put back in mm -hmm. that he hinted that didn't quite work out, but I'm assuming they probably went down another path. So I, I think the most revealing thing about the Terry interview is that he was given the mandate that each of the two seasons that he show ran for Picard would tell two individual stories. And so that makes sense how they ended season two. And in the interview, he said that he was already working midway through. He kind of started working on season three and he gave the show to, to, to the others to, to work on as he started charting season three since they filmed them back to back. And I think that's that's pretty insightful, too, that he even admitted that he became almost like an uh, audience member to the what happened in the back half of a card. Yeah, uh, which is a little interesting because it serves up what you've got to kind of pick up and move on with with season three. 
but it does explain a lot of the way that we we finished off some great characters and were all the characters done right throughout Picard. I, I, I'm not here to say. I love Jean-Luc Picard as a character. I love what they did with season two. I loved a lot of the new characters. Raffi, having Seven back. Rios, I was a big fan of Rios. But but seeing that Latin, seeing that cast of characters on one more ride with the TNG group is just going to be a great fulfilling thing. And I'm looking forward to it. Well, Star Trek Discovery fans who are eagerly awaiting the return of the show for season five that is filming right now up in Toronto, Canada, have received announcements for the season four home media and soundtrack releases in the last couple of weeks to tide them over until the next season premieres in 2023. Star Trek.com has announced that Star Trek Discovery season four will be arriving on Blu-ray and DVD later this year, though an official release date has not been announced and retailer listings showing December 6th as the release date are reportedly inaccurate. Special features for the set have not yet been announced, but it will also receive the customary Steelbook release that has accompanied all of the live-action Star Trek shows. In addition to the Season 4 home media release, the soundtrack for Discovery Season 4 was released by Lakeshore Records on August the 26th. The soundtrack, composed by Star Trek Discovery composer Jeff Russo, contains 32 tracks from the show's 13 episodes, including Annabelle Wallace's performance of Stormy Weather from the episode of the same name. The Discovery Season 4 soundtrack can be purchased right now wherever you get digital media a Star Trek Strange New World Season 1 soundtrack release is also expected to follow a little later this year. Sam, will you pick up either the Discovery Season 4 Blu-ray or the soundtrack release? I know that we, you and I network with a lot of people who, who love their physical media. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. You're a full uh, digital I, guy at this point. I am a full digital guy. I uh, I used to have a thousand DVDs, and I over the course of my life, I've kind of given up on that part of it. The only series that I have on physical media is the remastered TOS seasons one, two, and three. So for me, I won't be doing it, but I know that people do th- that, that love it are going to get into the ton of great features on there. Now, when it comes to the soundtrack, I've already listened to the Discovery soundtrack uh, three times. All, all right. Uh, so I am, I'm all in on that one. Some great tracks there. The, the end of the, the reopening of the Academy, you get a little Archer theme at the end of that one. I remember yep. seeing that in the show. There's a great motion picture vibe, a little Jerry Goldsmith tribute. And Javini Threatens uh, is a great track. And then Abandoned Ship uh, towards the end of that album are ones that I've already hit multiple times on repeat. And, and of course, the, the Annabeth Wallace, Stormy Weather at the end, her haunting voice is Zora. I love the soundtracks. Give me, give me, give me Strange New Worlds. I can't wait for that one to come out. I'm all in on soundtracks when it comes to the modern Star Trek. Yeah, the only home media I buy these days is Star Trek. It's literally the only thing that I buy. For the same reason, I'm perfectly comfortable having a digital library of stuff. I mean, I yeah, I know all the reasons not to, but I don't care. It's super convenient. So Star Trek's the only thing that I buy the home media releases for. So I will be picking up the Discovery Season 4 Blu-ray to check out those special features. But yeah, like you, I also picked up the Discovery Season 4 soundtrack. I happened to be on the West Coast at the 56-year mission convention the day that it came out, so I was even able to grab it like right before I went to bed rather than <laughs> getting up the next morning and downloading it and uh yeah then listen to it through most of the convention on my way on the plane home a few times say whatever you want to about the quality of Star Trek Discovery season four and you know my mixed feelings about it are on record the music is terrific and Absolutely. Jeff Russo always does a great job with the Discovery soundtrack and this is probably my favorite I think of the Jeff Russo Discovery soundtracks that he has done thus 
far. And there's just a ton of really interesting stuff on here. I I also really like the the reprise of Archer's theme from the Academy track. There's just there's just a lot of cool stuff. And it's so, you know, I'm a huge Star Trek music completist. I've got a seven-day long playlist of all the Star Trek music <laughs> that's been released to date. And it only keeps getting longer with each of these releases. And it will only keep getting longer again when the Discovery uh, when the Strangely World Season 1 soundtrack comes out probably in the next couple of months. And uh yeah, I'm a huge fan of the Discovery music and everything. So yeah, this is a this is a cool one, and I am pleased to have added it to my collection. And lastly, this week, Star Trek Wines debuted four new additions to the Star Trek Wines collection at the 56-year Mission Convention, formerly known as Star Trek Las Vegas, in Las Vegas, Nevada, this past week. After running a poll that indicated fans wanted both designs, Star Trek Wines have produced two versions of Rysian wine that are based off the two appearances of the wine in Star Trek. The Rysian wine bottle that appeared in the Star Trek Enterprise episode Two Days and Two Nights contains a rosé, while the Rysian wine bottle that appeared in the season two premiere of Star Trek Picard, the Stargazer, is a white. I was lucky enough to get to try the rosé out in Las Vegas, and it's actually really, really good. I will definitely be picking up another bottle to polish the whole thing off myself. And in addition to the two Rysian Wines, Star Trek Wines also debuted two new Chateau Picard wine bottles. The first is based off the Season 2 design for the bottle seen in the Stargazer, which includes a removable flexible topper designed to mimic the wax appearance of the bottle in that Picard episode. The second new Star Trek Picard bottle takes us back in time to the 23rd century. In the Star Trek Strange New Worlds episode, Children of the Comet, a 23rd century version of Chateau Picard appears in one of the background shots and can now be part of your Star Trek wine collection. The 2221 bottle is sure to look good alongside its 2399 and its 2401 counterparts. All four wines are available for pre-order on StarTrekWines.com, and the Romulan Ale previewed at Mission Chicago earlier this year is expected to debut in 2023, and Star Trek Wines announced this week will contain a blue vodka, marking the company's expansion from wines into making spirits as well. So if you're not a wine person, you're a spirits person. It's been a little while since there's been Star Trek Spirits. The previous holder of the license, whose name I'm forgetting, went out of business during the pandemic, so we've not seen anything now for two, three years. Looks like Star Trek Wines are moving into this Star Trek Spirits space, and just having seen a full-up bottle of the Romulan Ale, I think fans are going to be really, really happy and impressed with the expansion of the line. Sam, do you think you will sample any of the Star Trek wines on offer? That answer is yes. I have a freighter (laughs) that brings me over a couple cases from the neutral zone. I 100%, I don't collect a lot of Star Trek merchandise. Again, I said earlier, seven kids, there's not a lot of room. Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I I have some ships, but one thing I do have is the wine. Okay. It's a Christmas gift every year. I drop a few hints and then I open a gift at Christmas time and my wife's pleasantly gotten me. Last year, I got the <laughs> the Canar yep. and the Klingon blood wine yep. as a gift last year. I've got a bottle of the Picard I'll never open. And I finished off the Federation of Planets uh, white uh, a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. I did try the Canar. That was actually very good wine. I don't want to open the wax on the blood wine. Yep. So it'll, it'll stay just like it is. I'll 100% I've already dropped the hints for the Ryzen bottle. I would love to get the two new Picard wines too. They're just gorgeous. And the fact I knew Chris Pike had great taste when he cooked (laughs) as much as he did in season one. But the fact that he's picking up, hey, when I'm on Earth, let me beam over to France and get a couple bottles of this uh, Chateau Picard. This guy's going somewhere. That's fantastic. And I saw the Romulan L in Chicago and I 1000% am going to get that bottle. If my wife doesn't get it for me, I'll get it myself. I don't care about what's in it. It can sit on the shelf and just be blue and beautiful because that's a gorgeous glass. 
and the, the K&R bottle alone, I, I just, just hold it sometimes and look at the quality that these folks put into their bottles. It's just tremendous. Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive now to go buy the Star Trek Wines booth and see all of the different products that they have on offer, right? Then they first landed, I think it was STLV 2019 with the first, or maybe even been 28, I guess it was 2018 because it was before Picard came out with the first Star Trek Picard chateau picard and it was actual chateau picard and they had that and then they had the united federation of planets reserve like that was cool right two different bottles mm-hmm. and of course chateau picard everyone goes wild for it but like now you go and you look at the 10 bottles that are lined up next to each other all of which are gorgeous collector's pieces mm-hmm. in and of themselves right as you say I- i'm not a big vodka guy so i'm gonna get the of course i'm gonna get the romulan ale it is the iconic romulan ale bottle from star trek to the wrath of khan beware romulans bearing gifts like you know and it appeared a bunch throughout the whole of the franchise like i'm getting that i'm probably not gonna drink the insides because i'm not a big vodka guy but i'm gonna have a great time owning it in the same way that I love the Canar bottle, I also happen to like the red wine that's inside. Everything they have done so far has been really, really good. I mean, and to the extent that, like, you know, now they've moved into some in-universe stuff and they're, you know, sort of meticulously recreating the bottles for Rhysian wine, something that you're like, why would you bother to recreate Rhysian wine? But then you get that <laughs> bottle in your hand and you're like, this is amazing. I have to this own this true. and I really yes. want to drink it because it seems like it's great. And it is great. I had the Enterprise one, as I said, one of the nights we went out to dinner in Las Vegas and it genuinely it was a great rosé it was not too sweet it was it was it was good it was just a really really nice wine to go with the dinner that we were having and so yeah I'm a huge sucker for the Star Trek wines products I think they've been doing a terrific job and very excited about their expansion into spirits because there's certainly been a number of iconic bottle designs in the Star Trek universe in the kind of you know wine space that they were just in Mm -hmm. there's also a lot in the spirit space too that kind of opens up the door to pretty much all the rest of the glassware within the Star Trek universe, you know, assuming that it's not like, I mean, I would guess the Dickel bottle for Saurian Brandy is probably still under license somewhere. And so that one might be difficult to do. But like, you know, I think there's, there are lots of possibilities for the kind of things that they could do. Now they're doing spirits as well. So this one's just really, really exciting. I'm a huge fan of, of the products that the wine guys have been putting out, the sort of dedication and the enthusiasm and the excitement they have for Star Trek, for the brand, and for providing fans with things that are great. I mean, sure, they're expensive. And yes, you can't ship them internationally. Actually, but that's not the wine guy's fault. That's because the US has an mm-hmm. extremely arcane set of laws connected to alcohol. And so, yeah, would you know, they do a great job. And I'm I'm really excited to get these three bottles into my collection. Could not agree more. I think when once they go further into the spirits world, they can probably do a whole line just dedicated to Montgomery Scott and all the different types <laughs> of liquor he conjured up in his career. All right. Well, we've talked about the facts. And now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, my guests and I give you a wish or theory we're nurturing about any of the shows or the future of the franchise. So Sam, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. Well, we start, I'm going to kind of finish where we started, and it's a little bit about Lower Decks. Yes, sir. Because I, again, we've already gushed on it. 
want to gush on just a, another few seconds. We had in the first episode, James Cromwell yep. come back in a, a little bit of a cheap form, but I love him anyway. He came back and was Zephyr Cochran. Then last, this past week, we had uh, J.J. Hertzler back as Martok in quite possibly the best Ferengi unauthorized game imaginable. Yes, so, Atlas and Binooks. Just amazing. Keep piling them up, Mike McMahon. <laughs> Keep throwing. I don't care if it's two seconds of a throwaway line or a sideways flashback. I love it. It cheers my Star Trek card up so much to see those characters come. I hope we get one a week. It doesn't have to be a big part of the story. The Martok thing was absolutely not a key piece of the story, but it's just so great to see the characters who in universe acknowledge sometimes the absurdity or the fact that they know as much about Star Trek and love their universe as much as we as viewers love it. And to be able to have those little bits and references is just thrilling. And then knowing that in a few months' time, we'll see the back half of season one of Prodigy, where we'll get to revisit those uh, a lot of same a lot of characters uh, that we've known, known and loved from Voyager. We'll see some Chakotay. We'll get Janeway again. It speaks to the level of love and care that these writers and producers have right now in Star Trek, that they'll treat us to new, thrilling, fun stories but yet will give us a little bit of the old school magic in there too. Let me put it this way for you, Sam, as somebody who's seen a couple of episodes this season, you will not be disappointed <laughs> with your <laughs> with your particular wish. I won't say more than that, but I mean, hey, it's lower decks. What what do you expect for, you know, for the remaining episodes of season three? There's some really fun stuff coming up in terms of legacy character appearances. And yeah, I'm excited for them to kind of then pivot back over to Prodigy and, you know, seeing more of the Chakotay stuff and like actual Admiral Janeway and you know who knows what other kind of Voyager characters might ultimately show up down the line Garrett Wong at the 56 year mission convention this past week you know said that it, he would not be surprised if by the end of the show most if not all of the Voyager main characters had showed up in some way shape or form had no idea what he was basing that off of whether someone had told him that or whether that was just his speculation but like hey I'm on board with that so you know all good as far as I'm concerned all right, well, let me give you my theory, which is, hey, it's Star Trek Day next week and can't let an impending episode right before Star Trek Day go by without throwing out a couple of theories about what we will learn next week. So I'm I'm going a little smaller for Star Trek Day uh, since we have New York Comic Con coming up the month after and San Diego Comic Con, Star Trek kind of really leaned in on that and, you know, gave some big announcements at SDCC, which we weren't sure was going to happen. So I think there's going to be some big announcements at New York Comic Con, which means that I don't think they're going to kind of blow everything right now on Star Trek Day, which means if you were to ask me to guess in order of likelihood about what I think is going to happen on Star Trek Day next week, I think very extremely, extremely likely would be a Star Trek Prodigy trailer and a release date of some kind, right? Like... Mm -hmm. You know, because at this point, it's theoretically the next thing up after Lower Decks. You know, at my very strong senses, we're going to get a, a trailer for the last 10 episodes of season one of Prodigy and the release date for, you know, will it be the week after Lower Decks finale? Will it be the week after that? Something like that. I think we will get some kind of Picard announcement. I was feeling pretty, not negative about 
any kind of Picard news, but when they announced Star Trek Day, they only announced Michelle Hurd and Jerry Ryan as appearing for the Star Trek Picard panel. And I was like, well, if you're not going to have Sir Patrick Stewart there, or if you're not going to have like Terry Metalis, are you necessarily mm-hmm. going to have anything all that big? But today, they just yeah. announced that Sir Patrick Stewart will be on that panel as well. So I think there will be something Picardy. Maybe it will be an episode trailer, but maybe that's the kind of thing they're going to hold over for New York Comic Con a month later, just because Picard's coming slightly later than like a prodigy. Or, you know, maybe it's going to be like, maybe they'll tell us an additional character who's going to show up in Sasha Picard season three or something like that, or the name of the ship that we spend most Mm. of our time on. Or, you know, I I think it's going to be something that will sort of excite you and me, but like is not going to make it into Entertainment Weekly necessarily in any kind of, you know, sort of big way. Speak to the audience. Exactly. I do think we're going to get something for Discovery Season 5. So obviously they're filming in Toronto right now. What's listed on the Star Trek Day schedule is that Wilson Cruz is going to be doing a a sort of a virtual tour of the Discovery sets and, you know, people will certainly pop in. I would imagine Secret Martin Green will pop in and like a few other people will pop in. It wouldn't shock me if they did some kind of non-episode footage trailer. Who knows if they've done enough filming by now that they could like cut an actual trailer together with episode footage. But Picard's season two and three started off with trailers that like didn't have any episode footage in them and still found a way to kind of excite people and get them kind of worked up for it. So possibly something like that for Star Trek Discovery. And then the wild card is something else entirely unexpected, right? Something potentially not tied to any of the five current shows. I don't think there's really going to be anything for Star Trek Strange New Worlds beyond another backpassing session over the success of season one, given season two, even though they finished filming season two, it just feels way too early for them to be doing any kind of trailer or anything like that for the like third show down the line from where we are today. (laughs) Is our expectation for when we're going to see the season two, which would be after after Prodigy season 1B and after Star Trek Picard right. season 3 so like a trailer feels unlikely not impossible but unlikely and you know they've sort of teased a lot about season 2 of Stranger Worlds we know about the Lower Decks uh, Stranger Worlds crossover and you know we know Kirk's in it and so I don't know they're gonna do all that much more in that kind of space because otherwise you start figuring out what all the 10 episodes are about so then maybe something unexpected that's not tied to any of the five shows right could it be and, and that ranges from the sort of the smaller right uh, let's say, for example, we've heard Alex Kurtzman say a couple of times they're interested in exploring like audio fiction, right? Like, you know, podcast type things. Maybe they announce something like that, you know, like a, hey, we're going to get some legacy characters back and sort of like the Star Trek Picard audio drama that came out earlier this year. You know, we're going to mm-hmm. do like, you know, something like that in a weekly podcast form all the way up to, hey, they keep talking about there being two shows that are in development. Star Trek Picard is exiting the stage within the next six to eight months is now a good time for them to announce the show that will kind of replace Picard on the docket. Is that Starfleet Academy? Is that Section 31? Is that who knows what? That's the real wild card. It's like, is there going to be something big, big, big like that? And for that, you know, who knows? But Sam, what do you think about all of that? Oh, that would be huge. The announcement of the sixth series would be wild. You know, last year at Star Trek Day, we got the character reveals for Strange New Worlds. Yep. So in that in that vein, maybe we'll see a character reveal of who's taking Hemmer's spot in engineering. P- perhaps uh, maybe a couple new crew members from that, because that's last year's when it blew our mind on Star Trek Day with we'll have Uhura, we'll have Chapel. It was like mind blown during that. So I, I I'm I'm with you on that. And now that you've laid out some of the things that are coming up after Star Trek Day, it makes sense that they would hold their big guns for when the wider Hollywood press is paying attention. 
not just to the niche of Star Trek Day specifically. But I, I certainly think we're going to get a lot of good information. When I saw that Sir Patrick Stewart was going to be there on Star Trek Day, I'm feeling a little bullish on what we'll get from Picard. I, I think we might certainly get, since it's the next live action up, I, we would assume uh, that we might get a, a full trailer. I'm, I'm feeling really good about where we're at on Picard now. But I, I love these Star Trek Days, even the one a couple of years ago, the first one during a COVID lockdown where they, it was, it went on most of the day. It seemed like multiple pieces. Uh, I love the Scott Bakula enterprise. They, they got everybody back together and had a great 45 minute session. I just love these days. It's now become one of my favorite circle, the calendar days and uh, they can announce nothing, but I'll sit glued to that TV and just enjoy the day to be, uh, to be kind of plugged into that and treat it as a holiday like it is. Yeah, it's just fun, right? Like, you know, of course, we we love the announcements. We love the new stuff. But it's also just fun to take a, a day, an afternoon in this case, to kind of celebrate Star Trek and do it once a year and have it be appointment television. And, you know, for us all to sit down and enjoy what's effectively a little virtual mini convention for an afternoon. You know, I mean, it's the, the, the next sort of big Star Trek convention is not going to be until Mission Seattle in May, which for many, many reasons will be an absolutely interminable wait. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's like, uh, it's fun. It's a a nice opportunity to kind of enjoy this thing we all love together and have the corporation put on a little bit of a splash and and have some fun. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, or Prodigy that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek or email them to me at Weekly Trek at thetricordertransmissions.com and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Sam Nelson, for joining me today. Sam, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? I am on Twitter at SLNelson77. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander C. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at Patreon dot com slash the tricorder transmissions and lastly if you're looking for star trek news on the internet i hope you will turn to trekcore.com well thank you sam thank you to all of my listeners and until next week live long and prosper <laughs>